How do you now guide them by the hand from what you've got to what they may need? Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 21, and today's guest is Kim DeYoung. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at hippodirect.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kim DeYoung. As a teacher, coach, chief operator, connector, lover of all things marketing, and author of the upcoming book, Finding Your Way, Mapping Your Unique Path to What's Possible, Kim teaches the special processes for coaching yourself to navigate your meaningful choices. Kim, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, as you know, we've talked uh, kind of off air. It's been roughly 30 years since we have chatted. How, how's, uh, how's life been for you? <laughs> um, I would say overall, my life has been a good life for these past 30 years. Thank you. That's great to hear. And um, just to give the listeners, you know, some perspective, um, Kim and I worked together uh, at a business called Tweeds, uh, which was a catalog business that was launched in 1986. And uh, I was one of the, uh, I think I was the fourth employee. And uh, you joined uh, in 1988. And what was your role there? What was my exact height? I was probably like a merchandising assistant. Um, or a production assistant, something like that. It was a very fun introductory job for me that was, um, you know, really a stepping stone for so many things. Yeah, I think it was that way for a lot of us. There were a lot of young people there. Um, we were, had pretty significant growth. And, you know, the Tweeds business was one of the first, if not the first, catalog businesses that was funded by venture capital money. Um, so it was a, a really good learning experience, certainly for me from a direct marketing perspective. But um, this is not about me today. It's about Kim and, and your background. I usually like to get going in, uh, in my show, um, having the guests talk a little bit about their first story, you know, where you grew up, um, your upbringing, and, and how perhaps uh, that was helpful in preparing you for the career or, in your case, careers uh, that you've had. That's a really interesting question. I never get asked that, like kind of going back prior to work. Is that what you're interested in? Yeah. You know, um, you, you, where did you grow up? Siblings, you know, um, you know, kind of just your general upbringing. I grew up in the New York City suburbs in Westchester, and I was, I'm the oldest of two girls. I would say what's interesting that I have a really strong recollection of in my growing up is that... I grew up in a town in Westchester that was very non-Jewish, and I am Jewish. I didn't really realize it until I had some kind of an unusual moment, and I said something to my mother, like, why did that boy say this to me? And she said, oh, that's because you're Jewish. And that was kind of, that was it. As I got to seventh grade, the high school that I was zoned for was not a great high school. 
and my parents gave me the option of a few different private schools and I ended up choosing a private school in Riverdale. And so here I am this very, I don't want to say immature, but a naive sixth grader going off to a school in the city with my eyes wide open and, you know, really had not had much experience. And now I show up at the city school where everybody was living a much faster life than I was. And I was welcomed into the school very, very quickly, which was wonderful. And I would say my eyes were huge saucer eyes for like the, I ended up saying through the end of eighth grade in terms of taking it in. I, I would say the best thing that happened for me in that experience was that my parents chose at that time, my sister's two grades behind, and it was kind of time for her to consider going to the private city school. And they didn't really want that life for us. It was very, it was a challenge challenging experience for me socially to commute from Westchester to New York as a 13, 14 year old. And they didn't want that for her. So they ended up moving to a different town in Westchester where it was more comfortable to be Jewish in that town and had a better high school. And they, they said, you know, we're going to move you, which of course, and now I'm situated. I didn't want to do that, but that ended up being a huge benefit for me. I would say overall in that in those two years, seventh and eighth grade, my eyes really opened up to kind of city life speed, but I was never that fast girl. I was still a very suburban girl, but I had an awareness that when I got back to the suburbs, many of my friends likely didn't have because they didn't have that city experience. So I often thank my parents because it's like they gave me an opportunity to get my eyes opened without getting into trouble. And so I had a savvy and an awareness and a comfort and an adventurousness, which I think was really key. So I was now the kid who was comfortably commuting in the city at 13 and doing all of that stuff. And that real sense of adventure, I think, has continued on in my life and that confidence and that ability to go places maybe where other people don't go. And um, it was a really pivotal, wonderful circumstance for me. That's a great first story, and, and I can see as we get into this conversation how that's going to play a big role in, in the things that you're doing today. But before you uh, took the role, took on the roles that you have today, you were uh, a schmata lady. You were in the uh, uh, in the apparel space. Um, as a matter of fact, it was it was so long ago that we worked together. I don't even think that uh, Tweeds is on your LinkedIn page. So you you spent time at this business Tweeds, and then you you moved on and you spent some time at some other really well-known apparel brands. You want to talk a little bit about those transitions, why you made those moves and, and what that did for you in, in your career? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll even take it back one important step before that, which was I was raised of the two girls to be the boy of the family. My dad saw me economics major, business, et cetera. I went to the University of Michigan. That was you know my primary focus. And my eyes got open to art history. And I said to my dad, I'm going to, I want to um, expand my major, econ plus art history. He said, what are you going to do with that? Talk about Rembrandt and coffee shops. And I was like, no, I'm going to be creative in business. And when I graduated, I had an opportunity to work with Sotheby's in London. But at the time, um, there was bombing going on in London. And my parents asked me to not take that route at the moment. And I thought, well, what other field is good for women who are creative in business? And I thought fashion 
we had a good family friend who was in the fashion industry and she connected me for my first job, which was as, a, as an assistant buyer at Bergdorf Goodman in New York. I knew nothing. I had zero retail experience. I was ticketing bras for you know much of my beginning um, career at Bergdorf Goodman. And interestingly, part of how I landed at Tweeds, and it's a really great story from the perspective of I had come across the Tweeds catalog, which to me was a magazine of, of lifestyle, clothing and lifestyle. And I didn't know of that. I was, I had gone from lingerie to designer at Bergdorf's and my, I guess my dream was not to go to the Seventh Avenue showrooms and buy somebody else's line. What I observed in the Tweeds catalog was they're creating clothing for the lifestyle of this person. I had no idea how this was done. I did not know the term product development. I knew none of that. And I called the 800 number of tweets. I said, how do I work for you? And, you know, somehow I get connected to the president of the company who brought me in on a Saturday. I didn't even have to like take a sick day. And he said, you know what, if, if, I, if you start next week, I'll take you to Hong Kong. I thought, okay, that's really not a very hard decision. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. And, you know, was really immersed in ground floor. How do you create product for what the consumer wants and ultimately left tweeds, which was really the most beautiful job to have started out in that space and then moved on to the gap. I moved across the country to San Francisco. That was really, you know, a true highlight. I was with The Gap and Banana Republic for a few years, developing women's product, being a part of Banana Republic when um, they kind of took them out of what was the Jeep safari world into being a destination women's store. We were finding our way. That was a lot of fun to be a part of that, a lot of chaos. But I also, one of the benefits of my career when I was at The Gap was that I, I came in as a merchandiser and merchandisers at that time also handled production, which is not a thing that they probably do any longer. But what that meant was I got to travel all over the world in factories, developing product, et cetera. And the, the learning was extraordinary. I really often describe my Gap experience as having worked for the Harvard you know, of the fashion industry, to have been immersed in what I was immersed in and to have learned what I learned and, um, and to have worked with brilliantly smart people as a team collaboratively. It was wonderful. And truly, I never saw myself doing anything other than working for a big company. I loved working with smart teams of people and, you know, moved on to J. Crew, to Armani, to different things and was ultimately let go um, due to a downsizing just as I was pregnant with my first child. And that was really a pivotal experience for me because I really was at a crossroads. I had, we had just bought a home in the New York City suburbs that definitely required two incomes. And yet it was like, okay, I've now, I've now risen to a certain level in management. I thought by the time I find a job, I could be you know, ready to have this baby and not wanting to go back. And one of the things I had observed while being at The Gap with so many women at senior levels was an opportunity for maternity clothing. And I reached out to the president or the owner of The Gap and I said, you know, I want to start Gap Mom for you. And he said, it's a great idea, Kim. He said, we will ultimately, but not now. And I said, I get it. But I took my Gap savings. I took my, you know, all of the ambition and know-how that I had. And I developed um, my own line of maternity clothing called Metro Mom Maternity, which I designed, produced, sold. I was selling it, you know, multi-channel, wholesale women coming to my home. I was the destination resource in, um, you know, in the tri-state area, tri area of New York. 
what was interesting, I'll tell you um, something that I recall so vividly, having worked at Bergdorf's, a small store, I was very, very aware of how the small retailer or the small wholesaler actually would often get charged back for, you know, niggly little things that the small guy can't really afford to have done. And my vision originally when I created um, Metro Mom was to sell it to Neiman's and Nordstrom's. I, I thought I had, I had a high end vision. It was kind of like the banana republic of maternity. But having had the Bergdorf's experience, I was a bit resistant to, you know, being that small guy getting charged back for all of these things, which is what caused me to say, you know what, I'm going to sell it from my home and see what happens. And my first two children are one year apart. So it, it kind of just worked for me. But next thing you know, I had 2000 units of clothing in my house, women coming to my house whenever their pants were too tight. I will say from a learning experience with Metro Mom, you know, it wasn't the business that was thought out from the perspective of how will I grow this, et cetera. It was certainly thought out from a product perspective. I was very clear what I wanted the products to be, the fabrications, the need I was filling in the market. But what I didn't really give great thought to, and it's one of my biggest lessons, was that um, I invested in a lot of inventory. And because it was maternity, unlike you know any other non, I've got to have it now kind of line, I always had to be inventory heavy, which was not a brilliant thing from a business perspective versus if you're in wholesale, you know, you tell them you, someone places their order, you tell them they're going to have it in six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is. And you have the opportunity to manage your cash flow. I didn't really have that. And after being in that business for a few years, women were now coming upon their second pregnancy, third pregnancy. I had to keep expanding the line. It just, it became quite a bit, but it was an extraordinary experience to have done that. So that was your entrepreneurial bug, but then from there and, and that great success, you, you did a couple of other um, startups and one in particular was around a digital market for digital marketers. Yeah. So what happened, and this was the transition, as the women were in my home shopping and buying their maternity clothing, they were like me. They were 30-year-old women who very much wanted to have their child. They waited you know, more than their mother's generation might have, but their career was important. And so this was now this experience of work-life balance, which I certainly didn't really have a lot to model. This was, you know, we're now talking 20 plus years ago. That wasn't a, a widespread term as it would be now. And I thought, I really want to coach that woman. And I had been sort of told along the way as I was getting coached through my, through my maternity um, experience that I was seen as a coach. And that became, you know, was that bug kind of got in my ear. So I ended up transitioning what was Metro Mom Maternity to Metro Mom, the community for women who are mom entrepreneurs who want to work online. And so it was that transition of me building a site, me beginning to coach, et cetera, mom entrepreneurs who wanted to take their vision online. And that was kind of the foray into that. What ultimately happened in that circumstance was that I learned that the mom entrepreneur doesn't necessarily spend money when she's sitting with that particular hat on. So I realized I needed to adjust that business. But one of the things that I had done 
in creating Metro Mom was I was a student of everything internet marketing. And as I needed to create a site and all of that, I learned about e-commerce, I learned about list building, I learned about affiliate marketing, I learned about you know all of the things that one needs to do, but I learned it on my own. I didn't have the resources. I had actually spent so much on Metro Mom, I needed to cut back at this time. And I you know, really was a student of learning everything. And I'd had someone point out to me a bit of time after my Metromom experience, she said, you know, Kim, I've never seen anybody get things done as quickly as you. And that was a kind of pivotal moment because it was this realization that, wait, I do get things done quickly. I, I know what needs to get done and I'm tenacious and figure it out. But how could I now teach that to others? And I had observed many of my other entrepreneurial friends who had great ideas of visions of things they wanted to do, be it products or services, but they were not getting them out into the world. And it was that kind of aha of, wait a minute, if I could support them to get their brilliance out into the world, what would that look like? And that essentially has been a version of the business I have now been in for 12, 13 years is working with people who have visions for products and services that they want to get out into the world. And how do they do that? Okay. So let's hold that one for, for right now. So let, let's jump to, you know, present day, you know, you've taken us up to, you know, what you're doing most recently, checking out, you know, your biography and, and, and doing some homework. It, I don't know how you have time to do anything. You have so much going on, podcast, book writer, speaker, working, you know, with individuals, working with companies. How, how would you boil down for the listener what Kim DeYoung does for a career? The term I'm using now that I do with clients, I use a term and it's, um, it's a popular term at the moment. It's called an integrator. And what an integrator is, is someone who, who makes a vision. Like, so my clients are typically those who have a big vision of a mission that they want to get out there again, product or service. And I, as the integrator partner with them to make it happen. So that's, that's essentially, I take big visions and help get them out into the world. And it's interesting, you know, as I was you know, reading, um, I don't remember seeing the word integrator, but the, the concept of being able to help people, you know, get that message out. You know, I, I think we sometimes are not very good at communicating what we're good at or what we have done. Um, I know when I've tried to write a resume, you know, I feel like I'm pretty decently successful. I've accomplished, you know, quite a bit in my career, I think, but getting all of that onto a piece of paper that, you know, you can say it in one or two pages is very difficult to do. So is that part of what you're helping people to kind of just boil down their capabilities? Not in this case. No, these are the people that are coming to me at this stage, know their capabilities. What they're often caught in is, you know, they've got tons of ideas. I mean, the challenge of the entrepreneur is that they have no shortage of ideas, but their challenge is getting those ideas out into the world and what it, you know, what comes first and how do you build the things that you want? So they often know, I, I have worked at, over the years, I've worked with people who are at a more introductory level and people who are more advanced. At this point, I'm primarily working with people who are more seasoned and have something already and they want to take what they have and improve upon it. And it, it's, it tends to be, does it tend to be they have a business that they want to start or a service that they, you, you, that they want to provide to, to folks and get paid for that service? 
most of the clients that I work with are some form of a coach, and it can be a health coach, a spiritual coach, a dating coach. I've worked the gamut. Each of them has a coaching platform. They all, you know, coach about whatever it is their specialty is, but they all have info products and services as well that they are now marketing and getting the word out there so that they've got additional revenue stream. All of them have multiple income streams, whether it's through speaking, through affiliates, through coaching services, through product offerings. And I would say a skill that I have that I genuinely love, and this really comes from like back in the day of retail, is guiding a customer by the hand on that product journey, building that marketing funnel. So whereas at Banana Republic, when I was there and we were selling someone a pair of pants, you know, the natural thing is, would you like the belt? Would you like the shirt? Well, similarly, how do you translate that concept online? You know, someone's gotten something, you've piqued their interest, they've woken up at three in the morning to Google something, landed on your website. How do you now guide them by the hand from what you've got to what they may need and what else they may need? And that is like my brain thinks like a retailer, but I often love bringing in, you know, really what does, who is the customer? What do they need and how do we give it to them and how do we get into their head? And I think my retail experience has really served me in that way in that, you know, at the Gap and Anna Jake or whomever, I, it was the physical product of, okay, it's the holiday season. We need to create a sweater. What is that sweater? What do they need, et cetera? Now it's instead of a physical product, it's an info product. How do we capitalize what the client's expertise is, package it into information that can now be sold digitally? And, and as a coach and, and as a consultant, have you had formal training um, in these areas uh, over time, no. or is this something that, you know, was just innate <laughs> in you? You know, for, I, I, I haven't been schooled in it. I've certainly over the years bought many info products of my own. I've studied with wonderful coaches. I love going to conferences. I mean, I'm a, I'm truly a perpetual student. I, you know, it's funny that I never thought I was an entrepreneur back in those, re, um, you know, retail days, but I really, am the quintessential entrepreneur and that I just love taking in information and how do I then do something with it? So, you know, I'm very, um, I'm grassroots. I am school of hard knocks. I've learned it all along the way as I've needed to do it, but I'm also not scared of trying. So earlier in my career, when I, I recall, this is actually a funny story. When I had my first, one of, one of my first online websites, I was working with a coach and she said, you know, you're going to need to have a lead magnet, which I knew what the term was, but I didn't have one. I said, what do you think I should do? She said, you're going to need to have a CD in which you talk about, you know, your seven things that you help people with. I said, but I don't have it. She said, you will. And, you know, next thing you know, I created my seven things and I created a CD, which I didn't know how to create a CD, but I did. And I figured out how to ship a CD and, you know, all the things that one did. And you know, I just figured it out along the way. I, I took what I was learning and absorbing and seeing others doing. And I always put it through my kin filter to say, you know, does this work for me? Am I doing it in a way that I want to do it that feels right for me? And, you know, I've done enough of that on my own that I teach others how to do that as well. So when you have a company that perhaps, you know, comes to you, um, they want you to help them consult, what kinds of problems are they bringing to you and that they're looking for solutions? Well, I can speak about, okay, I'll speak about two specifics that I can think of. One amazing client that I had a few years ago had a huge amount of traffic to his website, 
but people were hitting the site, but they weren't becoming customers. And I said, you know what? You're not segmenting your list. Who, who are these people? You know, what buckets do they fall into? They don't, they don't all need the same message. So if we can get clear, who are the segments either that you want to speak to and therefore have clear messaging. So as that person hits your site, they're like, ah, that's me. I'm going to go down that path versus the other one goes down another and you speak to them and you really imagine getting into their shoes so that you can now build a path of marketing content product services for them. That, that was extraordinarily fun to have gotten the clarity of the segmentation and then to have built specific marketing funnels of products and offerings for those um, consumers. That's one particular client. A more current client is someone who's unbelievably prolific with all that she creates. Very, very knowledgeable in her, in her space, but a lot of her content was sitting on her hard drive and was not being monetized. So I really came to her initially with, okay, how do we kind of go through the archives of all this stuff that's sitting you know, somewhere on your hard drive? How do we resurrect it, freshen it up? and figure out again which segments of your list yet a huge list which segments of your list would benefit and then again build the path so we give them one thing and the next thing and the next thing and how do we kind of build the breadcrumb path so those are um, you know two different examples the devil's in the details you've probably heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life projects get started with great intentions but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that can make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who has helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. We're recording this in you know mid-September of 2020. We're still uh, right in the middle of COVID pandemic. How has that changed your business a bit? Um, you know, do people come at you for coaching for different types of things than perhaps pre-COVID? I would say my business has thrived in COVID in many ways in that I have been working online virtually for close to 20 years. So it's a world that I'm used to. Fortunately, all of my clients too are in that space. So it's been an opportunity to even strengthen that message of why you want to make sure you have an online platform in all that you do. At the moment, um, COVID actually, on a sad note, coincided with my father's death. He died one week before COVID. So it's been, um, I would say I slowed down on the coaching front. I've stuck more in these six months with consulting. I happen to have a very special clients who I love their work. Their mission matters to me. It's a pleasure to do it. I found myself being a bit quieter and introverted and not putting myself out there in a way that coaching would really come to me because I was just quieter for this period of time. Yeah, you know, condolences to you on, on your dad's loss. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, I, I found, you know, interesting in, uh, in doing some of the reading uh, is about this, this uh, exploring your world, people exploring their world with maps. And, and I guess there were four of them, the, explore, the exploration experience, the possibility experience, the opportunity experience, and the genius experience. Uh, is that something that you crafted? And, and could you, you know, tell us what that all is about? 
So that experience of mapping came out of a book that I'm in the process of writing that has been quite a journey. It's been a more than five-year journey. And in a nutshell, that process came to me. I had, I had an idea that was what happens when we make a choice, begin taking action, and then what unfolds you know, synchronistically while we're in action mode. And while I posed that question to myself, I reflected on a particular choice I had made many years ago and all that had come from it. And to take what had happened in my particular circumstance, I ended up taking a mind mapping software, mapping all of the, I made the choice, this happened, that happened, et cetera, using mind mapping technology, and what that map, that particular first map afforded me was the ability to look at a two-year window of time and all that came into my life, again, both that I created and, and that I didn't, that you know, synchronistically, magically happened, and to really observe from a place of gratitude and looking back, but also an incredible place of possibility of you know, what choice today could I make and what becomes possible. Anyway, that, that one map ended up becoming 30 maps in a year where I now took others through this process, plus probably 50 of my own of like exploring lots of nuances of choices that I had make, was making. And in doing that experience while writing the book, and I've just honed in on some really key questions that I support people to address when it comes to either looking back at past choices from the perspective of what did I learn? Who was I? What, what of that choice, either, you know, what might I regret from a past choice or what from a past choice is foundational to who I am now that I love about myself. And as well from a present and or future choice, you know, what is the choice I need to make today? What fears do I need to let go of, et cetera. So that has been, I have been doing quite a bit of coaching around that for people who feel stuck, who want to step into something and they don't know, um, you know, what that is. They want to get to the bottom of it, something going on, whether they want to heal from the past or step forward into the future. That's been a big part of what I've been doing in and around my consulting. Hmm. And so you had a, 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 a comment about your upcoming book. And, and as I said at the top of the show, uh, finding your way, mapping your unique path to what's possible. Tell us about that um, and when we can uh, read it. <laughs> that is a great question. We'll have to wait five more years for no, you to... <laughs> no, I'm actually almost done. Finding Your Way is really a book that supports the reader to almost be their own coach. It's a, it is really a very process-oriented book of how to look at choices that you've made, choices you are making, and really either find your way back to something in the past, find your way to what you want to be. And as the mother of an 18, 21, and 22-year-old, all who have all whom have been my guinea pigs while I've been kind of immersed in this at very formative and interesting years of like, you know, going through high school, finding their way, applying to college, being able to support them as they learn to make their best choices and um, really teaching them that like the best choice they can make is the best choice in the moment. And actually here's a really appropriate story for our relationship. The man who hired me at Tweeds 
is the man who is responsible for my confidence in making decisions quickly. There was a circumstance early on when I was with him professionally, I'll remember this vividly, we were in a showroom and he had let me know that some dresses that we had ordered that were now in Hong Kong were um, mismatched in color. Some dresses came in red, some pink, whatever. What did I want to do? And I was you know, 24 at the time. I said, I, I don't know. I don't have enough experience to make that decision. And he said, you're right. You don't. You're 24. Today, you have to make that decision as a 24-year-old using everything you know. And then tomorrow, you'll use everything you learned from that decision, past decisions, and make tomorrows. And it was the most simple piece of advice. But you know, in that moment, I obviously made a choice of what to do with the dresses. I don't, was it a perfect choice? Is there ever a perfect choice? You know, again, it was the best choice I could make in the moment. And that's been such a, an important piece. And that's, that's a very key piece through the book. And it should be completed by the end of this year. So I say that so that you can hold me to it. I've now verbalized that on the podcast. I have to get it done. Uh, I can close my eyes and I, obviously I know who you're referring to. I can close my <laughs> eyes and totally see his body language, his mannerisms, his hand movements, you know, telling you to just, you know, make your decision and live with it and, uh, and move forward onto tomorrow. That's funny. Um, you've made some, uh, you know, comment in, in some of the reading around about your gift. What is your gift to the, the folks that you're consulting with? My gift is, um, really a combination of being able to see very big picture and to strategize and to see where we're going, but also to really know the details of how we get there. I don't often see that with others. You know, people are either, you know, very good at the, at the big picture, but really have no idea how to do the details. And, and I really can straddle both. And while I may not want to do all the details at this time, and I've learned how to delegate well, it allows me, one thing I'll remember, huge piece of advice from my dad when I started out at Bergdorf's was, Kim, always know how the garbage gets taken out. And that, that really struck with, stuck with me because as I think about, you know, sitting in this more elevated position in a business, and I've observed this with clients that I've had who, you know, they're the visionary, they know that stuff, but they may not know the smaller details of their business. And when that's the case, sometimes they're held hostage to the teams of people that work for them because they don't know how, how those people are doing what they're doing. And while you don't need to know the details, you need to know enough to be able to oversee your business and you know, make sure that things are running the way you want. So I would say that's, um, you know, that, that's a key gift and I, it's, it's, it's honed over the years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I've always been thankful of the the time that I got to spend at Tweeds because um, although I started on the finance side of the world, I wound up moving into catalog marketing and literally was in the ground floor of that area. And so I learned the details. And and I'm also, I think, you know, very much like you, you just described yourself. Um, and, and hence, my consulting business is called Details Interactive. <laughs> and it, it came, the, the word details came from, you know, somebody once saying to me, you know, geez, with you, everything is the devil is in the details. And you do need to be able to uh, deal with the details and, and the big picture strategy. So I totally get it. So we're coming down to the end of the show. And what I do at the end of the show is I have uh, seven questions that I've asked uh, all, all 20 guests uh, on my shows uh, before you. So can I ask you the same seven? Of course, I'd love it. 
Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? I will say, because it's what I wear 90% of the time as a woman working from home, Lululemon. All right. So it was either Lulu or Athleta. Um, I wasn't <laughs> sure which one you were going to go with. Uh, what, what, what's the favorite app on your phone? Uh, that's a toss up. I would say Audible right now. I listen to a lot. Uh, the last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Um, Poshmark. Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were? <laughs> Cooking for my kids. They don't, eat, <laughs> they don't all eat the same thing, and I just, I've stopped. You didn't train them right when they were growing up. Yeah, they cook for themselves. They, they cook oh. for themselves, but I, can't, I don't get to cook for them. That's it. A charitable organization that you're passionate about? As an entrepreneur, I would say Kickstarter, if that's considered a charity. But that Yeah, okay. That, that would be good. Yeah. If you had one superpower, what would it be? To hear what isn't being said. And lastly, other than family, what's your most prized possession? I have a really, really great yoga mat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you and your, your Lululemon and your yoga mat. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Uh, so, Kim, this was great catching up. If uh, people want to reach out to you on social media, what's the best way for them to do so? I am both on Facebook as Kim DeYoung and Instagram as Kim DeYoung. Well, thank you. This was great. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, your book. I can't wait. And we now have you on uh, uh, recorded as to when you're going to get it out. Um, so I look forward to that. And, and I'm glad that we've had the opportunity just personally to uh, reconnect here after so many years. And, and hopefully we can uh, spend some more time off air and uh, catch up on, on what we've both been doing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. This was really a treat. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Kim DeYoung for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, in so many of the shows we've done, the first story does really play a role in what we do later in our life. Kim's move into the city from a suburb forced her outside of her comfort zone. Don't be afraid to move out of your comfort zone. Make yourself uncomfortable and push yourself to achieve new goals. Number two, think about what your gift is. We heard Kim speak about how she believes hers is a combination of seeing the big picture opportunities while still staying focused on the details. What's yours and how are you leveraging it in your personal and professional lives? And number three, choices. We make hundreds of them each day with the information that we have available to us at the moment in time. Do not look back. Focus on the future and use the outcomes of the choices you make to inform your future decisions. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.